It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, my name's Jess Phillips, and welcome back to Yours Sincerely. Now, most of you might know I'm an MP in Birmingham. But what you might not know is that I've always been a prolific letter writer and know the power of putting words to paper. So in this podcast, I give my guests a chance to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. And when we've heard more about each person, they'll reveal how they would sign off each letter. Lisa Nandy is the Labour MP for Wigan and the Shadow Secretary of State for levelling up housing, communities and local government. She has been a Member of Parliament for nearly 13 years, spending much of that time on the front bench. Before entering Parliament, Lisa worked for the youth homelessness charity Centrepoint and the Children's Society. Today I'm excited to talk to her about the letters she would send to three people who mean the world to her. So hello, Lisa. This is funny because we were at work together yesterday and we'll be at work together after this uh, as well. So it's a pleasure to have you here. Well, you might be. I'm going home, actually. Oh, are you? <laughs> well, I'm going up north because of the rail strike and yeah. childcare. A combination of the two things mean that I'm driving. Oh, uh, right, and yeah, it's I've gonna... got my car here. I might as well get a camel, strike. to be honest. The yeah. whole thing's just a disaster. Oh, it, it absolutely is a disaster. Although I've been driving loads more because regardless of the rail strike, uh, those of us as I'm sure you do, relying on Avanti. Avanti gets a lot of mentions on this podcast about how shit it is. Good. It is the shittest of shit. So I don't uh, know, you know, Transpennine is, is up there rivaling Avanti at the oh, moment. Oh, is it really? Yeah, yeah, there's a huge... You know, the Tories always say they want competition on the railways. Yeah. Well, they've got it, haven't they? They're all competing for who can be the worst, worst. provider. <laughs> it is so bad uh, at the moment. I don't notice when there's a strike anymore. I literally can't no. tell the difference. I, do you know, I honestly think it's worse on some non-strike days than it is on strike oh, 100%. days. 100%. It's worse. At least I know on a strike day that yeah. I have to take my car. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I can plan. They, they give you forewarning on a strike day. On every other day, I'm just... I, I mean, I have spent... so. Thank God uh, that the last Labour government um, did up New Street Station because I have spent... Something like seven hours a week there uh, waiting uh, for trying... The, the level of productivity that must be affected well, by... Well, this is actually how I ended up writing a book because <laughs> I've spent so much time sitting at Crewe Railway Station <laughs> in the middle of the night waiting for a train that clearly wasn't, wasn't coming. coming. I decided to write a book on my phone Why in the waiting room. Why do we still hope? I, st- I, <laughs> I sit there. Know. It's the hope that it's kills you. It's the hope you. that kills you. The total <laughs> triumph of hope over experience. I sit there going, I bet the next one will be fine. Yeah. It's never fine. Yeah. It's never I, been fine. Well, this is partly what I think accounts for the general sense of just 
frustration, anger, whatever you want to call it out in the country. Because if you leave people standing at a bus stop for a decade, <laughs> people are going to get angry. I mean, you would, wouldn't you? You're just like, <laughs> I'm oh, livid, Jesus. Um, so, now, I often say, this is all about letter writing, and I often say that uh, because actually 99% of people don't write letters anymore, but in our profession... We are avid letter writers. I often talk as well about the parliamentary currency of a handwritten note. There is, uh, you know, the way people send handwritten notes. I don't do, I don't do I that. I don't actually. do that either, Lisa. I think it's uh, kind of weird, actually. When you get those I mean, handwritten it's kind of, notes. It's very charming when it's somebody, you know, in the House of Lords. Yeah. Who's been in government or something, you know, a long time ago and sends you a note saying, I'm very encouraged by something you've said. Or yeah. Something. That's very nice. But when it's people our age, I just think, well, you wouldn't normally well, do that. But people you? do it when just they want to be elected to, exactly. to be on something. Oh, do you know, I was skirting around it because I didn't want to get flat from oh, yeah, my the colleagues. handwritten note is because people want to be elected to be the chair of something or something. It's when people have clearly looked up the names of your children and have <laughs> inserted them in the relevant space into this note and you just think, don't bother, I'm voting for someone else. <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, have you got any letters that you kept? The person who I just interviewed before you had one from George Bush Senior. What? Like, yeah, that, that, okay, this is what I mean. <laughs> and now you got me in. I mean, you must get a Christmas card from Tony Blair. Have you letters That's from not the a Royal... letter, though. No, have That's you... like a printed yeah, signature, yeah, yeah. though. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Tony, if you've actually signed them. Tony Blair's Christmas card gets more outings on this podcast than ever before. <laughs> and this year, I've mentioned it so much, and it has been written about in newspapers so much because I've mentioned it so much, that I felt that he would keep me off the Christmas card list this year, but he didn't. I so I am, maybe it's poss- just possibly doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> Maybe when he's thinking about the future of the world and that sort of well, thing. Well, that's maybe. very rude, Tony Blair. <laughs> you should get him on. Get him to talk about yeah, his Christmas, Christmas card. Um, yeah, and the, I'm racking my brains here. I'm actually starting to sweat a little bit <laughs> because I'm thinking I need to now demonstrate to your listeners that I'm extremely well connected. People <laughs> writing to me from all over the world saying how brilliant We've I am. We've had people who've been had I Nelson. I can't think of a single, <laughs> single one. Nelson Mandela we've had. The what? Queen of Norway or or somewhere. Let, yeah. Have you not? Did you not get any letters from the royals ever? No, you've never had a letter. I got invited to um, Clarence House once. Yeah, Um, and you get the fancy. It comes in a fancy envelope. I I enjoyed the envelope. I didn't go. You know, there's this thing in Parliament, like it happens to MPs very quickly, where we talk about outside like it's another place. <laughs> yeah. And we never really leave the building. Yeah. I think it is partly a consequence of just being tired all the time. That, yeah. You know, you like Monday was a good example. We vote until midnight. Yeah. And then I had a meeting scheduled at why or why I don't know for eight o'clock in the morning. And so you're just not sleeping at yeah, all. Yeah, I don't sleep at all. When so I'm going here. outside feels like a very difficult thing to do when yeah. you're traipsing up and down the corridors. And, and Clarence House was just too far away. It was away. just too far. I mean, you know, I would have loved to go, but it was you, too far. You do actually become... Like, when you're first elected, you get invited to loads of stuff and you go to it all. And then after the first six months, you think, I'm just staying here. I'm just going to eat my dinner in my office with yeah. West Streeting and just yeah. be done with it. <laughs> yeah, but also, I don't know, I just think Parliament would be so much better if everyone got a bit more sleep. Yeah. And I'm really regretting this now because I'm thinking if I'd gone to Clarence House, I could probably sit here and tell you that I'd had a letter from, yeah. like, the King. Yeah. But I can't because I just stayed in my office and had my dinner with West Streeting. <laughs> <laughs> and now, I tell you what, actually, I tell you who does write letters, diplomats. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. not all of them. There's a sort of oh, new yeah, generation of diplomats. But, yeah, yeah, and they write you lovely handwritten notes and they send you the gifts as well, yeah. which is all a bit problematic because obviously you declare everything that you yeah. get in Parliament, so I was never quite sure 
you know, whether to declare it, whether to send it back, or is that mm. going to cause a war? Like, <laughs> just never quite sure about it. I once got sent uh, 500 mangoes from Pakistan. Oh, uh, there's a particular... See, this happens to me very regularly, the mangoes from Pakistan, because mango, Pakistani mangoes are literally the best and sweetest, but it's for literally one month well, of the year. Well, this was the problem, so they got stuck in yeah. the parliamentary system. I can believe it. You know, it. everything that comes into Parliament has to get yeah. checked and double-checked and all the rest of it. And they ended up stranded at some office somewhere, and by the time <laughs> I, I got these mangoes... Oh, it was bad. Yeah. It was more like a sort of threat than a sort of... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I there's just a man who turns up at my office with mangoes, mangoes from the, the Pakistani embassy. The he, just dri- he, he, he just drives them to my office in Birmingham. Now, so. the US embassy once sent me um, a mask of Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> I did get a Biden one as well. It was a sort of, um, you know, getting ready for the elections sort of pack. And they sent me a sort of goodie pack for the US <laughs> elections. And there was this mask of Donald Trump and my, my um, researcher used to wear it to scare me sometimes. <laughs> Come in the office and see Donald Trump at the desk. The uh, talking to diplomats, and it reminds me of thinking about the um, the US diplomats and and the people who work at the embassy here for uh, the US government. They come into Parliament and just chat with you. But basically, their job is to gossip with politicians in the country that they are in. In a lot of cases, and I remember the moment, the sort of horrible moment when I realised that everything that I was saying was being sent back. And 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 in fifty years' time, me talking about like. (laughs) Love Island to the person will have been written down and that is what is going to be, like, in 50 years' time when they release the records. Because you've got all these things about, like, you know, the the different people talking about bananas and things in uh, that get... I just thought, oh, God, I'm going to try and make these meetings more meaningful. I just sit and gossip with them. Do you, do you remember Margaret Beckett when the Queen died telling this story, this amazing story, about how, as a young whip in on the Labour side she was tasked with writing to the Queen every week. Oh, for yeah, like now years. they go and sit and talk to yeah, them. To yeah, to give her the gossip. Yeah, yeah. And you think, imagine if that had been you or me. I know. <laughs> imagine what a weird, distorted view of things the Queen yeah. would have got. See, oh, this is really problematic. <laughs> Never do a podcast with your friend. Because <laughs> we'll just tell what it's actually like. Uh, obviously, I also sit with the American diplomats and talk very seriously about foreign affairs mm. and... <laughs> The, the problems in the UK, <laughs> but also sometimes gossip with them about Love Island. Um, I just, I'm looking forward to reading it. All the the stuff that we said. What are they called? What do they call when the, the the dispatches they send? It's called something really specific. You know, when they write it all down. Yeah, it? but you know, there's this really good book called The Naked Diplomat by a guy who used to be one of the Britain's leading diplomats. He's now sort of he's at Oxford University yeah. doing some stuff. He's a really interesting guy. But he, he's got this book about how basically diplomacy is completely changing. And now they're all on, like, social media mm. and they're sort of working, you know, the, you know, they're doing a sort of PR strategy and all the rest of it. I found it genuinely really fascinating. Like, I don't really think of diplomats like that at all. No. But they're not writing letters anymore, Jess. They're all on Twitter. <laughs> they're on Twitter. <laughs> oh, I'll chat with them some more. <laughs> Until you're exposed to diplomacy abroad, like when we go anywhere, you go and see the British embassy in that country. Um, and it is like something from a different era, isn't it? Like, Do you, you know the thing I noticed, first of all, is where, where are the women... Yeah, yeah. And there's a, there's a new generation of women coming there through are, who yeah. are amazing. This woman called Karen Pierce, who you'd really like. She's from the north of England, from Preston. And she just, no nonsense, you know, just like you'd expect. Yeah. 
And, like, there's a whole generation of them that are, like, breaking those glass ceilings. But it's so striking when, you know, I used to work with children and yeah. young people before I came into Parliament. And stepping into Parliament from that world was like, you know, where where's the diversity gone yeah, at yeah, all? Yeah, yeah, But then stepping into the diplomatic world, it was like, it's whoa. Like, <laughs> it's like something. It's, it's like how you might imagine. It's literally like the ambassador's reception in the advert for Russia. Yeah, it's like <laughs> sort of James Bond. It is. But without the exciting bits, yeah. you know, the car chases. You're, just, you're talking about trade at, bre- at breakfast in, in, like, I don't know, like East Africa somewhere. <laughs> and you're eat, yet you're eating an English breakfast <laughs> off a plate using silverware. It's a picture of the Queen. It's so weird. <laughs> it's so weird. And I just I th- I think I thought that was just something from a novel, but it is actually like you know like it's got like the royal seal on the butter dish that you, <laughs> your individual silver butter dish. There is so things. much about this job. Like you write loads of books, don't you? You need when when this is over, you need to write a book about it because it's just so much about this job that it's completely so bonkers. Weird. So weird. Um, so um, right. Sorry, so I've had no letters. A, you've had no yeah. letters. Nobody likes <laughs> you enough to write to you. If uh, anyone listening, please write Lisa a letter. <laughs> Um, not hate mail, thanks. Uh, one day I am going to bring into this podcast all of the hate mail. I do actually I get plenty of hate mail. Yeah. I should have gone straight there, shouldn't yeah, I? Yeah, that's it. I've got some great hate mail that I've kept over the years. Um, so I've asked you to think about three people that you would want to write a letter to in either celebration or not, if, if that is your <laughs> desire. Um, so the first one is the person who means the world to you. So who would you write that letter to? So I was, I've decided to choose my mum. Oh, that's a nice choice. Yeah, isn't it? Well, also, so it'll curry favour and I'll make sure that she continues to do the bulk of my childcare without which I couldn't do my job. Um, but I, it, partly this is me being a bit subversive because I was so fed up when I wrote the book and I don't do a lot of interviews where I talk about yeah. myself because, as you'll be finding yeah. today, it's a bit like pulling teeth. Um, but every single interviewer said to me, really interested in your granddad, really mm. interested in your dad. And I started noticing how every time I was sort of introduced at things, I remember going on Question Time once and they said her dad, her granddad did this, her dad did this. She resigned from Jeremy Corbyn's shadow cabinet and chaired Owen Smith's campaign. Yeah. And I was like, literally, I have done a few things in my life without reference to a man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just thought it was so weird because, you know, occasionally I'd just say to people, you know, I've got a mum as well. Yeah. Like, you could ask about her. Because she has actually been by far the biggest influence on my life. Like, I grew up in Manchester in the 1980s with two very loving parents, but in a lone parent household because yeah. my parents were divorced. It was at a time when the Tory government were actively attacking single mums. You know, I remember one day she had a fit at me when I'd spilt all my breakfast down. My, I always spill my food, <laughs> I still do now. And I was going out the house, about to go to school, looking a complete mess. And she said to me, we can't do that. We've, yeah, got, to, because... we've got to have higher standards than that or will attract the attention of the authorities and we'll be in real trouble. And it was that climate that they created... And how she navigated all of that. She was a current affairs producer at Mm. Granada. She was the only woman in the department. She was head of news when Hillsborough happened. And we were in the newsroom that night for hours, I think about 12 hours, while she ran the newsroom. And me and my sister slept under a table because she had no childcare. And I don't remember anyone else in that newsroom having to navigate childcare. Yeah, there was no formalised childcare really until the last Labour government, actually. I mean, it was insane, actually, like thinking back on it. She was having to make really difficult calls. Like, you know, she was being asked by the ground crew, do we keep filming Mm -hmm. or do we put our cameras down and go and help people? Now, that is not a call that I would want to have to make. And actually, she told 
them to keep filming. Yeah. And it became quite important evidence later in yeah. that 25-year yeah. battle for justice. But, you know, she's having to do that while she's got two kids going, Mum. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, you know, I'm hungry, Mum. I haven't eaten for ten hours. And, and you know, you can't remember this, but you were almost certainly a massive dick about it. Yeah, yeah, well, no. Because I mean, it's a given. An absolute <laughs> given, given. Kids are Yeah. When you're trying to work and your children are there, they're annoying. Well, except the iPad does yeah. a lot of work now, yeah, right? It does, it does a yeah, lot of the heavy yeah, lifting. Yeah. But oh, in those 100%. days, it was like somebody found us a biro and we'd be trying to draw a picture on exactly. a scrap a piece word of paper. Search at best, <laughs> yeah. at the very, at the very. That, that was a, that was a big day. I play I Spy. <laughs> it's like I'm playing I Spy all the way to the south of By France. Myself. It's like 19 <laughs> hours. <laughs> so it was like for me that was really really important because that generation of women they were told that they could have it all but yeah. actually they did it all yeah. and because they did it all I think for my generation I read something that Stella said Stella Creasy said in an interview a few years ago where she said I think our generation dropped the ball on the battle for equality yeah. and I, I don't think that's true of you and I don't think it's true of her and <laughs> genuinely I found it really inspiring the way that you two will take no prisoners about this and you'll call things out it's helped me to see a lot more of it that I didn't see before, but I think I grew up really feeling like, you know, I've got two feminist parents. Mm. You know, my dad was involved in the Equal Pay Act, the Race Relations Act. I grew up with, and I came of age when New Labour won, mm. I was 17 in 97. I just think I started to believe that progress is inevitable. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. that the arc of history always bends that way. And it doesn't, I've learned in the last yeah. decade. In fact, it's the other way round. I feel for our mother's generation, so I'm, we're almost exactly the same age. I was 16 when uh, the Labour government came to power. But um, I think of my mum... And I think Stella has a point, actually, in, in what she's saying, because, like, then that same generation with the waspy women who, like... And it's just like, oh, my God, they had nothing. And people like my mum fought for there to be organised childcare. Yeah. Like, so that women like me, when I had my kids, I had somewhere to send my children. And they had crapper pensions, they, like... But they were always fighting. And then we just sort of went, cheers, a little bit. There was a little bit of, like, oh... Cheers, thanks, I've got childcare for my kids. I mean, not us personally, I think we fight all the time. But the you, you know the I do feel like there was a little bit of complacency because of I, their success. But I think I was worse than you because I couldn't see it a lot of the time. I mean, it's partly a consequence of where I was working. Mm. I worked in the housing world for a while and then I worked for... Um, I went for Centrepoint and then the Children's Society and I was in, in the charity sector you do you get a lot of diversity until you get to the top yeah, yeah, and yeah. then it just falls away like and then you've got lots like of white men yeah, yeah 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 um and um so I just think that I didn't really see it and it was only when I got elected to parliament and suddenly just got this onslaught of like sexism in the media mm. and you know people commenting on what I was wearing and then suddenly started to realize you know we had this thing do you remember a few years ago where there was we suddenly realised that the select committees were just men. Yeah. And there'd never been, like, a female chair of most of the economic select mm. committees. And I, I think you were one of the people mm. behind it, but, you know, a lot of us decided that's not OK, yeah, actually. should have organised So we're just going to vote for women. women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, that's what I do now. I just vote for women. Yeah. And do you remember that first time we did it? Nikki Morgan took over the Treasury that's Committee. Right. Yeah, that's first right. First time in Parliament's history. You had Rachel Reeves yeah, on yeah. Bays. You had Yvette 
Cooper on Home Affairs, and it was like, oh, we can ch- we can change this actually. Yeah. We don't have to stand around shouting about it. We could actually just use the power that we've got to do something yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah. And that was, I don't know. I think that example that my mum set to my generation. I feel like our generation is starting to find our voice. And yeah, start to I think, think that's, about that it's too. definitely happened now and there's been, like, you know, such a massive backlash. But, yeah, when I think about the hardships of working women in the 1980s, even though, obviously, the, the head of our country, both the head of state and uh, the most senior person in the country were both working women... It's still, there was just still this, like, it was uh, something that had to be fought for. Um, and and actually, there was an opportunity for men to be doing lots and lots of good work, uh, but they got a lot of praise for it, while the women just... We took loads more on, but we didn't lose anything. Yeah. That's the no, thing, exactly you picked it. up loads yeah. more balls, yeah. but you didn't get to drop the ones yeah. that you were already holding. It's what I mean by the kind of have it all, do it all. Yeah. They didn't have it all, they did it all. Yeah. You know, my mum would come home from work, like we lived in Manchester, in South Manchester, and so she would go into work in at Granada in, in the centre of town, and then she'd come back and, you know, chat to us about our day... She wouldn't normally make it home in time for tea, but she'd be home in time to sort of tuck us in at night, have a chat to us. I grew up with a really strong sense that she was always around. Yeah. And what I didn't know until I was in my late teens is that every night she was going back to work after she tucked us in and editing late into the night, you know, doing programmes like World in Action um, and using her entire salary to pay for our wonderful childminder who would often stay over. And I just didn't know any of that. She just created this sense that she was always there. And I I think for me, like now being in Parliament and having a little boy, you you know, live live at the other end of the country. Yeah, and, you know, I go on about it Mm -hmm. all the time. So sorry. Neither of us are. I mean, there is few people. I think you, I and Lucy Powell have the the Lucy Powell messaged me about it this morning, actually. She's raging about a 10 o'clock meeting in half-term week in the north of England, in London, when the trains are up the creek. Yeah. And And, and nobody's thought about it. This is a big quirk that Lisa and I and Lucy often complain about, is that parliamentary recess falls in line only with schools in London. So our children are always off school in a week that we are not off school. Do you remember that Uh, time you brought one of your kids to Downing Street and left him on the I mean, that's my answer to child, the childcare crisis. Leave your children on the steps of Downing Street when you and your kids' school is shut. I mean, I, mean, I shouldn't say that it's, today. It's one, have all the kids. You know, I was going to say it's one way of doing it. I mean, I, I, you know, I just I think this is also existential for politics. You know, I look at that and I think this is ridiculous. If you can't have working mums and dads actually, because mm. I think one of the problems for a lot of dads who are very hands-on is that there's no expectation Isn't they're going to be doing childcare yeah. at all. But you. You work in mums who live outside of the Westminster bubble. Yeah. Like, you know, we're, we are quite important in politics because we, you know, we use non-London schools, yeah. we use non-London healthcare, you know, all that stuff that is really not working at all and hasn't been working for a very mm. long time in most parts of the country. And that part of the country deserves a voice, no? Yeah. And if we can't physically get to any of the meetings, then... <laughs> 
Isn't there a problem? But if I could give a shout out to a really good journalist, Sophie Ridge, years and years yeah. ago, way before people realised there was a problem in that most people in most parts of the country felt completely written off and written out of our national story, recognised that there was an issue and got out of she did. Western she, came to, she came to my she, I remember she, she came mm. to do an interview with you. I think you mm. were the first. Mm. And then she did one with me the following week. And when she turned up in Wigan, I assumed I was doing the interview down the line. Mm. And I thought it's nicer than to let me do it down the line because no offence to the BBC but the Andrew Marshall wouldn't let yeah. you do it so they'd just have a conversation between London based journalists and London based politicians pretending it was a national conversation yeah. and Sophie walked into this working men's club in my constituency and I went what are you doing here she's like it's my show and I was like this is amazing yeah. but actually you know there's a reason why people read the Manchester Evening News it's yeah, got yeah, higher yeah. circulation than a lot of national newspapers because it is relevant to people I do think that the women are I noticed um, Kate McGann yesterday was in Lancashire uh, uh, Like I think the, the women are pretty good um, they get that they, they need to that element of the sort of human going out to where it's actually happening definitely is good I think having women in the conversation changes the culture and it changes the tone of the debate mm. And, you know, I was really struck during the pandemic. I was doing the shadow foreign secretary job mm. and I was just really struck by the leadership that a lot of women around mm. the world were showing. Um, you know, particularly, I mean, everyone talks about Jacinda Ardern and she's mm. amazing, but, you know, Angela Merkel yeah, as well. Yeah. I mean, it was just far more about inviting the public in and saying, look, we're not going to get all of this right because it's unprecedented. Mm. And if we get it wrong, we'll change what we're doing and we're listening, but we need you to step up as well. Uh, you know, you contrast that with Boris Johnson and Donald Trump yeah. and the sort of idiocy that was going on. Inject bleach into your veins. Yeah, <laughs> world-beating health systems. Oh, like God. You couldn't beat the rest of the world at defeating COVID. You had to work with them. It was just, what are you talking about? It's not the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just it's, absurd. And, yeah. you know, that, that generation of women leaders, I just really hope that we see a new generation coming through. Yeah, I think, I think that they, you know, actually that's the thing that comes out off the back of that but yeah I mean I, I feel like I wouldn't be here without my mum's activism and my mum's the example that that specifically there is something about those sort of late boomer uh baby boomer women yeah. who like you know born in the sort of late 1940s early 1950s they don't get anywhere near enough credit for I mean the, so the I think better much better my life is because I, of them I would also say though that that's not always true and one thing that I've definitely felt sometimes is that for that generation of women, there are people who had to fight so hard that they've lost the belief that our generation can do it. Mm. And I did definitely feel that a lot in the leadership campaign, mm. that there was a, you know, a lot of people would say to me, you don't look like a prime minister. They didn't, you know, they meant I didn't have a penis. Yeah. A word. I'm sorry, it was just so obvious. Yeah, yeah. But it was younger women never never thought that they thought I could absolutely yeah. do it but there, w there was a generation that weren't sure at all you know yeah. they'd say things like the public won't accept it yeah. but I think well I don't think the public are the problem the public keep electing women prime ministers oh yeah the public haven't got a problem with it at all I've never ever ever had and I've been the only woman on the every ballot I've ever stood on 
It's never made it. It doesn't make the blindest bit of difference to the, the public, but you definitely, uh, that's the rhetoric that's... Yeah, and I think for the majority of that I generation of women, by like to have lived battle, through, like your mum, my mum, yeah. to have lived through having to fight all those battles and face all those barriers and get no credit at yeah. all for busting them down one by one and then still to be able to turn around to our generation and say, you can absolutely yeah. do it. I think that's extraordinary, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, it's hard. Makes me want to raise my game, yeah. which is good. <laughs> that's because I probably should. That's definitely what they'd say. Yeah. They were here. <laughs> there they were. Get the fuck on with it. Yeah. Um... Stop going on about your letters. <laughs> <laughs> Go and fight these battles that you're talking about. <laughs> um, so how would you sign off a letter to your mum? Uh... What would you say? I don't, do you know, this is really difficult because I don't write letters. So I'm thinking more in terms of WhatsApp, yeah. like, cheers, and can you have my little boy on Saturday? <laughs> The answer will be yes. I used to say this about my mother-in-law. I used to be like, I mean, my mother-in-law looks after my kids, but it's hardly a solution for the nation. Uh, like, we do need something slightly better than have I you, can rely on my mother-in-law. Have you just offered out your mother-in-law as the nation's <laughs> yeah, like, childcare? Just, just I, I do it with my own kids now. I'm like, oh, my eldest, he can he can look after the kids if you need it. I'm like, he's like that, don't do that. There's a name for that. It's called child labour. <laughs> yeah. We outlawed it he's, in Victorian times. He's 18 years old now. <laughs> he can do it. Um, but yeah, I, ju- I mean, just thank you. You know, I don't think anyone thanks that generation enough, no. and I think it's important to acknowledge it and to recognise it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the letter to somebody who's no longer with us. Who's that going to be for? Tessa. Oh, yeah, and do you know it was really weird. Tessa. I, Tessa as soon Joel, as I read is. what you sent me about who I was meant to be writing letters mm. to, someone who's no longer with us that you'd like to say something to, I just thought of Tessa straight away. So tell us about. Your no, it's all going to get quite so, sad now, isn't Tessa. it? Tessa. So yeah. Tessa died now. I oh got it's like well, she was diagnosed five years ago, I think. Um, it was I, you know, I've completely year, lost track. It was the I've lost two COVID years, yeah, so the COVID everything thing. scrambled in my brain. It was the, definitely, recently it was the five-year anniversary of like an amazing speech that she'd made. So uh, I have this thing when people die, is that I tend to deal with it initially at the outset when it's so because it's so big by just pretending it's not happened. Yeah. And so there is a very large... I mean, not in a weird way, like well, I don't I do bring that. them up, but, like... Disassociation, yeah. <laughs> it's common but yeah, way of coping. And I sort of still talk to her in my head, so I kind of... Yeah. I don't know when it was, I can't remember, and I don't really want to think about it. So tell us about your relationship with, with Tessa. So I didn't know her at all, and I was a new MP, and I was completely at sea. I'd got selected to stand for parliament about six weeks before the general election and it was fairly unexpected lots of mps stood down at the very last minute i'd been in manchester for tory party conference i was lobbying them to try and do some decent stuff for refugee kids and i grew up in manchester and i haven't seen tories out and proud in manchester for decades i just thought oh god they're gonna win and then my predecessor just announced he was standing down just a few months before the election. He wasn't caught up in the expenses scandal, but I think it had all just created a climate where a lot yeah, of people just, just wanted like to get out. It, yeah. And so I'd never done anything like that before, put myself forward. I never thought for a minute that I would end up in Parliament. And then six weeks later, there I was. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's weird when you first get elected because you get an envelope, don't you? Handed yeah, to you. just handed to you by the... You don't know that that's going to happen. No, and it just says to the officer. Member of Parliament. And I gave it to my predecessor, who was my agent, and yeah. said, there you go. And he said, oh, no, it's you now. And so I opened this envelope and it says, please report to Port Collis House with a copy of a utility bill. 
Yeah, and literally. I thought, is that it? You just take your on, gas bill. Come in. On um, Tuesday on to Tuesday, Thursday. Yeah. With a gas bill. So I did and said, I think I'm the MP for Wigan. And they said, <laughs> come in. And so there I am, wondering what to do. And I'm having a coffee with Karen Buck, and Tessa comes bowling past. And she'd just been offered a job by George Osborne running the Olympics. Oh, yeah. So basically, they wanted her to come into government and do the Olympic minister job from there. And she said to Karen, I can't possibly do this. I can't go and work for a Tory government. And Karen, you know, pretty forthright, amazing lady, said, no, you can't. <laughs> and so Tessa being Tessa came up with a really clever plan to to basically create a cross-party structure mm. so that she could still run the Olympics but not be working for a Tory government <laughs> and did and cajoled everybody into doing everything that she wanted as normal. And a few weeks later, we just had a very quick chat. She'd given me a phone number, told me I must ring her, she'd love to help. And a few weeks later, she rang me and asked me to be a PPS. And I was completely blown away because, you know, cash your back to 2010, I was the hard mm. left of the Labour Party. <laughs> and she, she was oh, not. You know, a red Tory, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, we all are, apparently now. But there was a, you know, there was, it was really extraordinarily generous. She said, I want you to come in and see how things work. I want, because in the old days, when we were in government, you would have sat on the back benches and thrown rocks at us. It would have been frustrating for you and frustrating for us. And if you're going to choose not to be on the front bench, at least know what it is that you're mm -hmm. turning down. And so for the next couple of years, I just had an absolute blast. She took me to every single planning meeting and event. It was all about the delivery of the Olympics. You know, in opposition, that's such mm, a gift to get to see how something actually get, happens. And she was so committed to every part of the country was going to benefit from this and a legacy of sport for young people. And she was one of those people who just wouldn't take no for an answer at all. So even when I completely disagreed with her, and there were so many times when that was the case, she'd say to me, now, darling, but you will be going out and arguing this, you know, you will be going into the tea room and telling people that they need to support this vote. <laughs> no, I'm not, because I don't agree with you. And she would push me really hard. But when push comes to shove, she always had my back. Oh, she yeah. said she had the worst conversation with a chief whip that she'd ever had in her life about me. And she basically went into bat for me and stuck up for me. And I just, you know, it taught me so much about how you do politics. This, you know, absurd factional wars that mm. Labour got itself into recently and then the Tories did as well. That's Still not how you make change. You, you take people with you, you build broad alliances, you're generous to people and you look after people and then they do the same for you in return. And I just, I don't know, I Somebody miss a once, a journalist once said to me that... Um, Tessa was often, even, you know, deserved or not deserved, given a better time in the press than other um, members of the then Blair um, and Brown government because everybody liked her. She said that to me as well. She said to me once when we were wandering nice through the everybody. tea room and she was chatting, you know, asking mm. some of the Tory MPs about their kids. There was nothing calculated about it. She mm. was genuinely interested. But she said to me, you know, it is... Politics is like walking across a tightrope with people throwing rocks at mm. you and you will fall off at some point. And when you fall, it's going to be brutal mm. and you need, you're going to need a lot of people rooting for you, not mm. just on your side, but on theirs as well. It's, just it's funny, when advice. I come across scandal about members of parliament, which obviously we, we all do all the time, um, if they are somebody like who has been perfectly pleasant and kind and tried to help you out with getting a bill through or something like you know just been reasonable or giving you a fair hearing even yeah. about something whilst i think that the thing that they've done wrong is still bad and they should be held accountable 
I wouldn't ever delight in it or go out of my way to do something, to gloat in the media or something. The, the, you, there is a humanity and everybody everybody is going to fall off at some point. Yeah, and it's hard because what you can't ever allow that to become is like a cosy club. No. So, you know, I'm not going to criticise this person for doing something terrible. I was really struck when I got to Tessa's funeral. She had a big public yeah. sort of memorial, but she also had a very small private funeral and it was... I, was, I drove there because she lived in a... Uh, you know, she spent a lot of time in the constituency, but she lived in a, a really beautiful little village. Near me? Is Warwickshire. it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so not very easy to get to on public transport, yeah. so from Wigan. So I drove there and it was like a sort of seven or eight hour drive. And I thought, what can I do to pass the time? And I thought, I'll download an audio book. And, and then I had this idea that I would download Tony Blair's yeah. autobiography because I thought she'd love that. She'd think I've got you in the end. So I listened to eight hours of Tony Blair and then I got to the funeral and there he was. And he said to me, can we talk about Brexit? And I was like, I've heard enough from you today. <laughs> I'm sorry, but eight hours is enough for anyone. But what struck me about it, it was that you'd expect all the new Labour crowd to be yeah. there. You know, Alistair Campbell of played course, the bagpipes. And has never forgiven me for saying it was a racket. But there was... You know, there were lots of other people there as well. There was um, Andrew Pearce, the journalist, oh, Kay yeah. Burley. I didn't know that she was such close friends with Kay Burley. Yeah, that's what I mean. She was kind to people and she gave people... A fair hearing is fine. You know, a, a biased hearing is not fine. A fair hearing, and that's... I mean, that's the view that... Um, when I was 16, the new Labour government had just come to power. It was then, it must have been the 50th? Oh, yeah, the 50th anniversary of the NHS ex existence. And um, I was working at this big conference for my work experience, my GCSE work experience, uh, uh, that was a celebration. And she was a health minister at the time. And she kept... Obviously, I'm 16 years old, and I was put with her, like, to take her around to this conference, and we had 50 women who'd worked in the NHS, all born in one of the years of the NHS, etc. Uh, that we, she had to go and meet. And I called her Stella for the entire day. <laughs> and only... Why? I, I just thought that was her name. I don't know why. Tessa, Stella, it's, like, similar. It's not similar. <laughs> it's a completely different name. And at the very end, it was her and Paul Boateng. I remember it vividly. What the hell did you call Paul Boateng? <laughs> I think I just, I just called him Paul. I think I did get that right. And uh, at the end of the day, she just very politely said to me, I didn't want to upset you, but my, my name's Tessa. And I was just like... I was so mortified. She was like, I thought if I'd, like, you know, said it in front of anybody... <laughs> and I was like, I'm See, so sorry. See, but this was the thing about her, right, as well, is that she has such a sense of fun and such a sense of mischief. She mm. was always up to something and she was always playing pranks on people. I remember going and meeting some Dutch politicians with her um, a few years just before the Olympics... About a year before the Olympics was delivered because they... I think they were bidding or something and she, they wanted some advice from her about how to do it. And she was horrendously late. She was always horrendously late. And she came wandering into the room, darlings, darlings. And then she threw her arms up in the air and started swaying. And you probably can't see, see this, people listening, but she was literally swaying like a sort of tall tree. And she sort of did it all the way around the room. Everyone's just sort of sitting there going, what on earth is going on? And she said, tonight I'm going dancing, darling. And it was at her daughter, a singer, and she's so amazingly proud of her. And she was going watching, watching her sing. 
and people just they never really it was so disarming people never really yeah. knew what to do yeah. with her but I think for me one of the things about politics and one of the reasons why the public often loathe us is because we seem very robotic very yeah, inhuman yeah. and very humorless yeah. and you you know, you've got to have a sense of humour about some of this. Yeah, I mean, I, I sometimes sort of joke that I'm trying to put the party back in the yeah. Labour Party, but, you know, we've got... It, it, it has to be fun. There has to be a sense of fun about it all. There has to be a sense of excitement about it. You have to be a normal human being. Who wants being. to go along to someone who just hectors you all the time? Yeah, well, it's like we were saying about the Brexit debates, yeah, right? Just people shouting at each other. You just turn it off, yeah. don't you? I remember the first time I took my kids to a Labour Party meeting... Um, when they were very little, and I was like, it's the Labour Party. And when we got there and there was no cake and balloons, they were like, that. Oh, what is this? <laughs> it's the not a party, Mom. Party. This is not a party. You said it was a party. There's no party bags. There's nothing. <laughs> this is a, the worst But why party not? That's yeah. what we need to bring back, I mean, party bags at every Labour Party like meeting. meeting. Considerably better if you've got a goodie bag you at the end of the You go home with some streamers and a party poppy. Yeah, you? that's it. And you know. a bit of cake wrapped yeah, in Yeah, the plastic car. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm telling you, that should go in the manifesto. I think we've revolutionised uh, the whole thing, really. Oh, you absolutely would if you made it more like a party. Um, it's definitely, it needs to be fun. And Tessa was, uh, slash Della, <laughs> um, was beloved by most people, actually. And that's rare, isn't it, to win at politics like that, to leave it beloved. But people like Mo Molin, it's actually the women, isn't it, often? The women often, who yeah. leave it beloved. yeah. One thing I have noticed, though, is that there is a generation of men from that time who are very, very encouraging of our generation mm. as well, of women and men. And it does, you know, you don't have to agree with them all mm. the time, but it does mean a lot to me, actually, mm. that, I, you know, I can pick up the phone to people like, you know, when I got moved into this job to mm. do levelling up, you know, I spoke to people like Jack Straw and John mm. Prescott, spoke to Tony Blair and Gordon mm. Brown... Um, you know, people who'd held this brief mm. before. I, I sent a message to Michael Heseltine and mm. he came back straight away and said, no, I'd be pleased to help. You know, it does make you feel, actually, that there's people... Politics gets such a bad rap. I know. But there's people who just genuinely want this country to be better. When you, and said you find that them right across the men political. from that generation. If if you were the MP Alison McGovern sitting in front of me, she had the exact same experience that you had with Tessa with Gordon Brown. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. And like you know, he. I can't imagine he was dancing around. No, I don't know really that he in front danced. of a load of Dutch politicians. No, I don't think he danced. Uh, <laughs> but he definitely like he found her when she was first elected and sought to propel her so what would you how would you sign off your letter to tessa oh i miss you and yeah. thank you thank you again but you know i do the legacy really matters you know politics i'm you know not moaning it's the most amazing job in the world and you get a window onto things you'd never get a window onto and when you win it's the best feeling oh, ever God. when you have a win it's better than anything isn't else. it and yeah it is and it's worth shit. all of the banging your head against the brick yeah. wall repeatedly over and over again to get that but it's, you know, it can be quite lonely yeah. and it can be quite brutal and you often feel like the ground's shifting beneath your feet. And, and there's you... nothing you can do about it. No, yeah. sometimes, and sometimes you need someone just to say you can't do anything about it, yeah. let's go for a drink. And sometimes you need somebody to say, as Tessa once said to me, snap out of it yeah. and go and sort yourself out complaining but you've only got yourself to blame yeah, yeah you know yeah. You, sometimes you need you need you need we're, all we're, of that we're totally fallible yeah we're gonna mess up yeah yeah Do exactly it all the time. and just judgment and you know often good political judgment comes from experience mm. and just being able to pick up the phone to somebody who's been there and seen yeah, it and done yeah, it yeah. you know 
it was, yeah. Anyway, it's, you know, it's hard to... I'm trying not to be too miserable about it, but you did ask me about someone she who's not here anymore. She's cheerful. <laughs> it she wasn't was going to lead us in. She was an incredibly She was, exactly. Woman. And, you know, that's got to be the legacy, hasn't it? Yeah, is yeah, that you, yeah, yeah. You know, you pick up be where they left cheerful. off. Be more cheerful, yeah. <laughs> We'll be back for the final letter after a short break. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Um, so the final letter is somebody who wouldn't know the effect that they'd had on your life, so who would that be? Britney Spears. Oh, yay! Britney! <laughs> yeah. I've got a good Britney related story. And I am story. deadly serious about this, by the way. You love Britney I do Britney not Spears. want this to be the jokey, laughing yeah. part of it. I am writing this isn't a letter. the last question of, uh, <laughs> like, question time, where you get asked, like, do you like eating Starburst? And it's like, why are we doing this weird aside at the end? I have a strong view, actually, that the renaming of Opal Street was a travesty. Absolute but, yeah. travesty. <laughs> I mean, that is why they ask us these questions, <laughs> presumably because we have a view on everything. everything yeah. But, um, no, I am deadly serious about this. I am writing this letter to Britney Spears because I love her. Uh, I think you're right to love her. She's an You wrote an article human. about her, actually. Yeah, so she's, like, exactly the same age as me, so she's her birthday is, like, three days before mine. Really? So we were born. And she's Although, got two boys as well. She's got two children yeah. at the exact same really? age as my sons, you see, so I feel like... I feel like you're claiming it here. <laughs> no, I feel no, like no, I no. need to wrestle this back. I have this got... is my letter <laughs> and my hero... Uh, the song Toxic by Britney Spears, I... It's uh, the most perfect piece of pop music ever. There's written. never been a better song written yeah. ever. Yes. Ever. That is absolutely 100% the case. Yeah. Um, I, I find it weird when people say, what's the best song? I'm like, sorry, if you've not been paying attention. It's, it's obviously yeah. toxic. <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. I remember yeah. when it first came out, I was like, oh my, it's like an awakening. <laughs> it is a perfect pop song. It is uh, an absolute... But she is responsible for a lot of the most... Genius pop music. And I think because of people like her, you know what I love about her, right, is that 
she she is talented. Of course, she's extremely yeah. talented, but she wasn't. She I've read a book. She yeah. did this book with her mum years ago when they were still talking, <laughs> and she said, like. She wasn't always the best singer in the competition. Mm. She wasn't even the best dancer, even though that's like mm. really her thing. But she just worked harder because she wanted it more. And I just think there's something so inspiring about that. Like, I'm not saying that I'm now going to announce live on this <laughs> interview that I'm going to be an international pop superstar with no ability to sing or dance. But, you know, this, harder, this idea that you just pick yourself up and put the hours in mm. and you can do it. I just love it. Yeah, yeah. I think that that it's like the ten thousand hours thing or whatever it is. But um, yeah. Also, I just love that she just went totally off the rails as well. I love everything about Britney Spears' story. Well, and like, so when you know, when I was pregnant with my little boy. Well, actually, it was a few years before that. It was after I got elected to Parliament. I took up playing the piano because I needed something to sort of release the mental yeah. pressure. And often, you know, we sit late at night, don't yeah. we? And we're all arguing and you get all wound up and yeah. then you try and go to sleep and it doesn't work. You can't work. go to sleep, yeah. And so I found myself running around the streets of London at sort of two o'clock in the morning because running is a good way <laughs> to get it out of your system and thinking, I'm going to get killed eventually yeah. doing this. This is not a sensible strategy. And so I took up the piano because I thought, I'm not very good at it. I don't have a natural talent for it. And so I'm going to have to concentrate so yeah. hard that everything that else will go think, away. Yeah, and it was perfect. And I actually, when I was pregnant with my little boy, I got to grade four. Wow. Yeah, and I went and did my grade four exam a month before I had him. And I basically was late and got really stressed out and panicked and then got really hot and sweaty. I had one of those big sweats that mm. you get and ended up crying on a very young examiner who really didn't know what to do with me and I couldn't even find middle C and um, I came out afterwards it's just been such a bad experience he was very nice to me and I, I cried in the street and I rang my partner and he said I think this didn't you take this up to like release the pressure not to like take you know, ruin on. your life and you're now crying in the street and so Anyway, I got the certificate through a few weeks later <laughs> and I, he passed me, and not just passed me, but passed me quite well. And I really don't think that I earned that <laughs> pass, but I'll take it in the spirit of Britney Spears because there I was, eight months pregnant, and I turned up and I was still trying. Yeah. And I think, well, you should get a certificate for that. Oh, definitely. <laughs> People with natural aptitude can piss off. That's much better. <laughs> exactly. Eight months pregnant and giving it a whirl and yeah. you can't even find middle C in here's, grade four, which is half the way up the grades. Here's to the triers. <laughs> And yeah. the people who give it a whirl, even when there's no obvious reason why they should be giving it a whirl at all. That's what I say. Yeah, Brittany, I mean, she'd been so, um, like, much written about of late uh, because of, obviously, the, all the st trouble with her family and everything. Um, but I just feel like she, she sort of, like, owns herself. And yeah. I just really like that about her. Also, recently, all this stuff that's come out, I think it might be a real sort of game changer for a lot of people in that situation yeah, yeah, in America. Yeah. I didn't realise the system was God, so know. brutal. So I know, it's unbelievable that you just they can just sign over your whole life and like your healthcare yeah. and everything to somebody else. And then they can take all your money. My children frequently have in their childhood threatened to emancipate from me. I'm like, you don't live in America. There's not this thing where you can sign. Yeah, and also, if you emancipate, then you, I don't pay for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just <laughs> like, good luck. Yeah. Good luck in the future. You're not Macaulay Culkin. You don't have millions. I don't know where you're going, you're going to go, <laughs> you're but good live? luck with that. Yeah. Um, uh, the, yeah. My husband worked on the Upside Did It Again tour with <gasps> Britney Spears. No. What? Uh, but... 
It's not a brilliant story. It's one of my favourite tours. Uh, well, I've got the band. I've got the T-shirt, the tour T-shirt. I, I'll bring it in for I you, I have Liz. literally been to every UK tour that Britney's ever done. So I've got... I, and I, I intend to do so until the day I die. I will bring his local crew. Oops, I did it again, tour really? T-shirt for you. Um, you haven't got one of those red cat suit. Red <laughs> no, cat suit sadly, no, okay. sadly. What was it? Uh, it was like PVC, But he it? had to build uh, at Birmingham NEC like a um, like tunnels so that she didn't see anybody. Like, you know, I don't know whether that's just like the she standard. She's not like people. She just doesn't like... She, just, she didn't want to see a load of rough-ass Birmingham local crew. <laughs> well, there was a thing about... Do you know, on that tour, I just remember lots and lots of girls turned up wearing those red PVC capsules <laughs> and then realised about two minutes into the concert that they'd made a terrible, terrible mistake. So hot. Just so hot. <laughs> and there's nowhere for it to go. Do you know what I mean? It was just... And you sort of look around and think, but you could have thought of this. Before yeah. you did it. Yeah, Like, because you're not it. actually Britney Spears. Do you think she'll go on tour again here? Again? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, that when she did that song with Elton last year, yeah. it, I think it was literally the best thing that happened to me last year. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. And it was a great piece of pop music. Uh, yeah, so I'm sorry to, like, you've probably got loads of politicos. No, no, loads of people have said Taylor Swift, for example. Oh, uh, Swift. Yeah. Just a lot of people. There's been a lot of Taylor Swift love. Bjork, people have said like. Oh, really? it, I think music matters to people. I think it does too. Do you remember when we like you probably if you're about the same age as me probably had this as well. But we, I had a Walkman when I was growing yeah. up. This was like soundtrack to my childhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like when you hear music from that era, it goes like yeah, yeah. yeah. It gets you. All oh, right. Well, how would you sign off your letter to Britney? I don't know. It'd have to be like something from one of her tunes. No? Yeah. I mean, oops, I did it again is a good one. <laughs> maybe one more time, maybe. I don't know. I just, she's just brilliant. I just basically say to her, I want to be your best friend. Yeah. Please come be my best friend, even though Jess thinks she's got a prior claim <laughs> on all just of this. Just the same age, just the same age, same uh, children. Yeah, and please make some more music and please go on tour so that we can go, yeah, we could go, go. and watch the gig. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Lisa, thank you very much. It's been a total delight, as I thought it would be. And you were actually much better at it than you thought you were going to be. Thanks, even <laughs> though you've outed me as being someone that nobody's ever written to in their lives. I'm now going to get stacks and stacks of letters. letters. I feel sorry for you. Yeah, you were right, Lisa. <laughs> But Just thank you, you a little note. And I will, given that our offices are only a few doors down from yeah. each other, I will come and deliver them to you <laughs> to me. Oh, as my great. final gift for having <laughs> me on this amazing show. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this episode of Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips. If you want to hear more conversations just like this, make sure you click the follow button now on the app where you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow us on social media. We're at Jess Phillips Pod. And I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. This has been an Audio Always original. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.